Welcome to Maverick University, an educational series featuring ministry modules taught by ministry-minded Christians and designed to help Christians become more effective in their service for Christ. Welcome to another edition of Maverick University. I'm your host, David Hallberg. Joining me today is Brother Don Asawardi, uh, who has a long history of ministry experience to include three years as a Christian school administrator, eight years as an evangelist, 20 years as a missionary, and then three years uh, as an administrator at Providence Baptist College. Thanks for joining us, Brother Asawardi. So good to be here. In previous videos, we've talked about your call to the mission field. We talked about dealing with um, culture shock and learning languages. We talked about uh, kids on the mission field and your responsibility for raising a family and directing your family on the mission field. Uh, but the topic for today's video is uh, one that is a little bit more hard-hitting, a little bit heart-wrenching. Um, it's the story about how your ministry in Russia changed um, and how that went down. I think a lot of people will find it interesting um, I think they will find it applicable um, with issues of religious liberty, uh, as we experience here in America, and kind of contrasting where we are today with what you experienced, and maybe even looking toward the future, as well as you see people hating on Christian liberties. Um, so just to reiterate some of the story, um, you were a missionary in Russia for 18 years. You were right. in country we, for 18 uh, years. We took a, uh, almost three years to raise our support on deputation, mm -hmm. but we went to the field in 1999. Okay. And we were on the field for 18 years. Okay. So during that time, you in previous videos, you mentioned you were in Kiev, Ukraine. Mm -hmm. um, that was language, right? right? Um, and then after a period of time, you went into Russia proper. Right. What town um, were you in in Russia? We were 250 miles directly south of Moscow okay. in a town called Oryol. Uh, nobody ever heard of it, but there it is. It sits about halfway between Moscow and the Ukrainian border. Okay. Um, we, were, we lived in that city for 14 years. Okay. And so you had a church that you had established there in Oryol? Well, we, uh, we began without knowing anybody. We just went in there uh, absolutely cold. There okay. were no American missionaries in there at all. Um, there, there were a couple of Russian Baptist churches. They don't believe like we do. Okay. Um, and so I wasn't able to work together with them. We just started from scratch, literally with nothing. We had some tracks, we had some Bibles, we just went out on the streets, we handed out information, we started conversations with people, we talked to people about the gospel, we invited people to come over to our home, we would serve a meal, we would play board games, and we would witness to them and, and tell them the gospel. A few people started to get saved. Uh, we started having uh, Sunday services in our home, and uh, that grew to a point where it wasn't uh, it wasn't really convenient to do it in our apartment, so we bought a house, designated it, had it set up for uh, a church house, and that's where most of the, the years of service, uh, the ministry was centered in that house. We had uh, Sunday services, Wednesday and Thursday services, okay. and uh, we had... You know, people come and visit, some of them would stay, some of them wouldn't. We had probably hundreds of people that came at one time or another. We had a crowd of regulars that approached about 25 people. Mm -hmm. That's about the number of people that had been saved and baptized and stayed studying with us. Okay. And so um, this ministry there in Oriel, 
um, it was you had established one church there and it just kind of grew organically you know mm -hmm. in a living room type of mm -hmm. setting and then you had a formal building um, so tell us about some of the people who were reached with the gospel. You talked about those that were saved, yeah. those that were baptized. Well, that's tell that's us about some the of those uh, the memories that uh, that are the 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 best. I mean, uh, we had a guy named Alex. He's a truck driver. He spoke some English. He actually had spent some time in America learning the truck driving business, but uh, he was that was just a temporary thing. He had to go back to Russia, and he and a partner started a small trucking business. Um, he saw one of our uh, one of our tracks that we had stapled onto a public bulletin board and he thought well here's somebody from America here's somebody that's teaching the Bible and I'm interested and so he started coming he studied with us for about a year and he said this is what I need I need to get saved and I mean, after a year yeah it wasn't wow. like I waited a year to give him the gospel I gave yeah. him the gospel right away but the the level of spiritual deception and spiritual darkness between the years of communist atheism and mm -hmm. honestly the influence of the Russian Orthodox Church which is a, a church of false doctrine it took about a year before the the light came on spiritually and he said this is it this is the truth this is what I need he got saved became really one of our most faithful people people like Svetlana uh, who her job was to sit at a newsstand right outside of a grocery store and she sold newspapers and and um, different little publications and um, uh, uh, one of our ladies gave her a gospel track and she started coming to our services and and same thing she studied with us for about a year until finally she said so what you're saying is that because I'm a sinner I wouldn't go to heaven but if I go to Jesus he paid for my sins on the cross and if I just believe that and ask him to he'll save me and I said well yeah that's what I told you a year ago <laughs> you know and I, I've wow. given you Bible lessons and and taken you through the Old Testament the New Testament and stories and illustrations and personal testimonies and that's what I've been trying to tell you she says well that's what I need to do why don't I just do that and I'm like yes so you know on and on and on I could tell you the 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 stories of people who just had a spiritual yeah. emptiness and decided that they they wanted to hear from the Bible and they studied and studied and studied until finally the light popped on. So just knocking a door yeah. and just giving them the gospel first time meeting. We had almost nobody. Saved. We had yeah. nobody that was saved. I mean, we did knock doors and mm -hmm. we did go door to door and, and witness to people, but I never had anybody on first contact that said, ah, I understand. I want to do that. Yeah. It just seemed like the the spiritual darkness was such that it, it just took a long time to get them into the light. Sure. Excuse me. In 2016, the Russian government passed an anti-terrorism law. Uh, and even before this had anything to do with you, I remember hearing that news um, and being aware of it. I'm not even sure how or why I was aware of it. Um, but it was some, they were cracking down. They were trying to, you know, crush terrorism where they were. And in my mind, at the time of hearing, it was like, yes, yes, important. that is a wonderful thing. I think this is a great thing that the Russian government should do. They're over there. They have a lot of influence down in, you know, Middle Eastern type mm -hmm. countries, Muslim-based countries. In fact, probably many Muslims living within their borders right. as well. So crushing this type of extreme mm -hmm. extremism would be a positive thing. Um, so. Talk about how this might have had something to do with you. 
Right. The anti-terrorism law was necessary. They did have several terrorist incidents. In fact, kind of interesting, there were at least four different times when I would go somewhere, usually in Moscow or an airport in Moscow, mm -hmm. and I would be there doing something, and within a week or two after I had actually been in that spot, they had a terrorist bomb go off. Really? Um, in fact, one time I was on a, a subway train, and I rode this particular subway train, and a few days later, I mean literally three or four days later, that exact same subway train had a bomber that just blew the entire train up and wow. they, the, the, the tunnel collapsed and hundreds of people were killed. And I said, yeah, I was on that same train three days ago. You know, so they had a terrorism problem and they did need to pass legislation. The problem is the Russian Orthodox Church, which is hand in hand with the government, um, it's, it's a marriage of convenience that has nothing to do with, with God or or true religion. Sure. They snuck a paragraph into the terrorism law that regulated missionary activity. Oh. They didn't really give much of an excuse. I think maybe they gave a lame excuse that um, maybe Muslims would use the context of missionary activity to smuggle terrorists into the country. But the, the, the bill, as it was passed, covered all of those things and gave the government the tools to deal with all that. But the Orthodox Church does not like any competition. They want to be the only church. The Russian Constitution says that there is no state church, that there is religious freedom. The Orthodox Church doesn't go along with that. So they snuck this paragraph in, that missionary activity must be closely regulated. Well, I heard about it. I got a copy of the law. I read it. And I determined that the specific things that the law said, I was not violating and, and I would not be in violation of those specific things. It was very specifically written. So I continued to do exactly the same things I was doing, knowing that there might be a problem on, on the horizon. All right, so you, you, you analyzed it, you were aware of it, and in your reading of it, you thought, doesn't apply to what right. I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I can, but you might, you kind of saw the foreshadowing of some problems yes. here that where they could twist mm -hmm. this thing to target American missionaries. So um, when did this law affect you personally? Was it right away? Did it take some years? Three weeks after the law was passed. Wow. We were having a Sunday morning service in our church house um, and we had just begun the service. I think we'd had an opening song and we were doing our memory verse, I think. Three men walked in. They walked in in plain clothes. They were not in uniforms, but they immediately walked right up to my little pulpit and they pulled badges out. They were officers of the, uh, of the Russian police. And they said, you are breaking the law by meeting in a home like this. Hmm. Well, I had read the law. I knew what my constitutional rights were. I knew what the law said and I knew I was not in violation. And so I knew the best way to handle this was just to be bold in their face. They're not used to that. I said, gentlemen, we are busy. We have a meeting here, and I cannot talk to you for at least an hour. You can either leave and come back in an hour, or you're welcome to sit and watch what we do, or else I can come to your office tomorrow and we'll talk all you want. But right now, I am not talking to you. I'm busy. We're busy. You decide what you're going to do. 
Well, they were a little flabbergasted. They just kind of shrugged their shoulders and they decided to stay and watch what we were doing. They, they sat there for the memory verse. They sat there for the scripture song. They sat there for the congregational song, the special music, and my entire sermon. I preached a sermon about John the Baptist. And um, they, uh, when it was over, we invited them to stay and have tea and cookies with us. Well, they weren't not that interested in tea and cookies. They were ready for interrogation. Okay. So they sat me down and they began asking me questions, everything that I had done since I was born, basically. They would not let anybody leave the room. We had about 20 people there that morning. And those Russian people were horrified. They had all grown up in the Soviet Union. Yeah. And to them, police means you're about to go to Siberia or you're about to disappear and nobody's ever going to see you again. Yeah. And here's these policemen writing down their names asking them, what are you doing here? Who is this guy? What does he do here? And I just answered all their questions. So all the church people that were present for the service they were, were there they and were held listening in for... the house wow. and they each were interrogated really? okay. in, uh, in different places around the house. And they were allowed to leave, but they told me and my wife, you need to come to the police station. I says, well, why do I need to come to the police station? Have there been any, any complaints filed against me? And they said, no, no complaints have been filed against you. But we need your fingerprints. And uh, for some reason, have they ever taken your fingerprints? Well, they knew that I hadn't. They had just started taking fingerprints of foreigners. And it made sense to me that since I had never had my fingerprints taken, that was an excuse for me to go to the police station and get my fingerprints taken. So they said, you and your wife need to come to the police station and have your fingerprints taken. And I was like, okay. So they put me in their car, they put us in their car, took us to the police. This was after interrogating us for about an hour and a half in our home. Yeah. Took us to the police station. They took me behind a big iron door that locked shut. And they sat me down in an interrogation room and they said, things are not exactly as we told you in your home. Really? There has been a complaint filed against you and we are going to file charges against you. And I said, give me a minute. I need to make a few phone calls. And I don't know if it was the boldness or whatever, but they were like, okay. So I took my phone. Like first thing I did is call my wife. She was sitting in the reception room. I told her, get out of the police station, grab your things, get out of the police station right now. Go outside and turn to the right. You should see the train station. Go to the train station, get a taxi, go home, lock the door. And that way she was never interrogated or anything. Yeah. They filed charges against me. Um, for illegal missionary activity. From there, they took me directly to the courthouse. They had a judge in a courtroom waiting for me on a Sunday afternoon. They held the wow. trial right then and there. Um, before I left that night, before they let me go that night at about nine o'clock, I had been arrested, interrogated, charged, uh, tried, convicted, and sentenced. They said, you must pay a fine of about $600 and never do any missionary activity ever again. Wow. So laws passed, three weeks, it's over in a day. And they didn't go after any Muslims anywhere in the country. So, the, so quite literally, you were the first target yes. of this law in the entire country. I Russia. was the first one in the entire country. Wow. That's unbelievable. You had somebody, somebody, you were in somebody's crosshairs immediately. People in that town were very, very communist. Wow. And um, 
the next day I got a call from a lawyer and he said, can you come over to my office and talk to me? I said, okay. So he said, there are some very, very powerful people in this town that don't like you. The best thing for you to do, because I like you, I think you're a nice guy. I wouldn't want anything bad to happen to you. Best thing for you to do would be pack your things and go back to America. Don't bother staying here. This is Russia. It's a dangerous place. And you're a nice guy. I like you. I wouldn't want anything bad to happen to you. In Russia, things happen. People disappear. People fall down the stairs. He said, and your wife is a nice lady. I would hate for anything to happen to your wife. Well, I wasn't particularly worried about what they would do to me, but that yeah. very same day I bought a plane ticket and I sent my wife back to America. Wow. I stayed for another eight months. I fought this in court. To me, it was an issue of religious liberty. I knew the law was on my side. I got lawyers from Moscow that specialized in religious freedom. And they said we had a very strong case. We appealed it. We appealed it again. We went all the way to the Russian Supreme Court and the Russian Constitutional Court, and they, filed, they, they ruled against us in every case. There was nothing left for me to do but to go back to America. Wow. My ministry was over. So your ministry was over yeah. in a day. And if I had done anything, even hand out a track on the street, that would have been a repeat violation. It would have been a $1,000 fine and immediate deportation. So there was nothing I could do. It seems like everything there. in the Russian justice system is immediate. Immediate, yeah. Wow. And I had been there for 14 years, totally openly. My visa, uh, my, my, all my registration papers said that I was a Baptist missionary. I was operating openly. Everybody in town knew that I was the only American within 200 miles. They knew what I was doing, and there was no way to hide. I mean, um, there was no way to keep doing what I had been doing after being convicted. But just because your ministry in Russia was over literally in a day didn't mean that there weren't Russian people who All are believers. All those people who got saved and baptized. I encouraged them to go through a process to register a, an organization so that they can continue to meet together. Unfortunately, they were just too scared. I don't blame them. It's a, it's a scary place, probably more so for the people who live there. Yeah. And they just said, we love you, we love what you told us, but we can't go down to the police station and put our name on a list of people that are worshiping in a, in a cult. All right. Last question I have before we're done. Is this story over? The only thing that's left to decide in there, I do have a case pending in the European Court of Human Rights. Oh, really? I almost certainly will win. It usually takes about seven years to get a decision out of this court. Okay. I'll probably get some money out of it, and it will embarrass the Russian government, but I don't think it's going to change anything. Wow. But it's, it's, it's something, and I felt like it needed to be done. So I brought charges. Asawardi versus Russia in the European <laughs> Court of Human Rights. What about um, trips to Russia in the future? Is, is this I'm something not, that you I have, have ability to do? I have not been banned. I actually went back to Russia the first summer after uh, I, I, I left. Um, to sign the papers to sell our apartment. Okay. I could go back anytime I wanted to. I just would not be allowed to do any missionary activity. So I really don't see any, any reason to go back to Russia, but I could if I wanted to. If I wanted to visit, I could. I'm not 
locked out of the country. We're out of time, but I got to ask, are there other American missionaries who've been affected by this? I, we support several missionaries to Russia, and as far as I know, they're still there. I was in the most communist area in all of Russia. Okay. There are several American missionaries still operating in Russia, even these three or four years, well, four years later, since I was arrested, four years later, there's still some operating. They just live in areas like Siberia where nobody is complaining about them. And okay. so if somebody does, probably the same thing will happen to them, yeah. but they continue to operate. All right. Well, thank you for so much for telling your story. I appreciate the Balasawardi. Check out our uh, next videos. They'll be in the, uh, the description below. There'll be a link to the next video. Thanks so much. 